I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. There's uh, two islands uh, in the South Pacific. One is American Samoa and the other one is Western Samoa. That's my mom who just said that, by the way. Uh, I recognize that. And the other is Western Samoa. And my family's from Western Samoa. And a very proud culture. And sing and we what, play ukulele you, you do, and we you, dance. You, you, and sing, we... you sang in Moana. You oh, I did. I Moana. did. Yes, thank you so much. Talimaya, oh, 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 wow. That's it. For those of you who don't watch movies and have no joy in your life, this is the voice of Jesus, a.k.a. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, the highest paid and probably most famous actor in the world and every Samoan's cousin. Look, Samoans love to sing, and it's not just Dwayne The Rock Johnson, it's our rugby players too. You sing for joy, you sing for sorrow, weddings, funerals, the Sunday church service. It's almost like dad tears. You know, you never want to see your dad cry. It's when the illusion of, of power of someone you consider to be powerful, someone who can make a difference, is sort of stripped away. And it's one thing to read numbers, but it's another thing to sit in front of a man who tells you that he's almost powerless to change anything. We're in Fiji. We've come to see the final round of a three-week tournament run by World Rugby the Pacific Nations Cup, with teams from Tonga, Fiji, Samoa, and the Australian A-side. After spending the morning watching Manu Samoa train, we've just spoken with their coach, and James has got pretty emotional. I don't uh, particularly enjoy crying in front of people I'm interviewing, it always makes it awkward. But I generally was just moved to tears, um, because you just go, well, if it's 2022, and that's as good as a country like Samoa can expect. What are we doing? Uh, what are, how, how can we talk about so much progress being made if that's where the national team is at? And so, yeah, I, I'm amazed at the, at the grace that the Samoan coaching staff and players, in the face of that and having to live with that, are still fronting up. This is Fair Game, Pacific Rugby against the world. 
It's a story about rugby. Wide to Lomu. He's got the bounce. He's handed off his opposite. But it's also a story about money and power. Oh, it's, it's not a fair game now because certainly the island nations haven't uh, got enough money. Sometimes they have to choose between representing their, their country or um, not being paid. History and race. I could never be told to piss off back to the islands, you coconut. Is it a fair game? Fair game, fair game, fair game, fair game. I'm James Nokise. And I'm John Daniel. So we're looking at Samoa in this episode. It's about connections and belonging. One of the reasons I was feeling my feelings in Fiji is that just before we went there, I sat down with a guy who played in one of the last World Cup games where Manu Samoa truly looked like giant killers. So my name is Kassiano Lealamnua, known by Cass ever since I've grown up. Parents are originally from Samoa. Father is from Ngātāwai and Savai, and uh, my mother was from Matautu and, and Apia. So I'm um, born and bred here in Wellington, New Zealand, and that's me. Cass and I played club rugby together for Marison Pats in Wellington. While he would play NPC for the Wellington Lions, after he declared for Samoa at a young age, the trajectory of his career changed. I wanted to play one for the Lions, wanted to be a hurricane, wanted to be all black. As soon as I played for Samoa, doors closed here in New Zealand for me. I can remember coming through the age grade teams here in Wellington, you know, captain the many sides. Then, as soon as I decided that I wanted to play for Samoa, all that changed pretty quickly, like overnight, you know. I was getting overlooked for teams. Was there any communication about why you were getting passed over? I just know that, uh, and I understand, it's one is... In New Zealand rugby, they will take a player eligible for New Zealand over a non-eligible player. So I became the non-eligible player. Remember that ruling that came in from 2000 after the Granny Gate scandal we talked about in the last episode? Once players choose an international team, they have to stick with it, meaning guys with dual eligibility had to make a hard choice. In terms of comms, no, there, there weren't comms, but you understood the rule. So for me, it was it was a choice I made. I wasn't happy with it. Uh, with, no, happy with my choice, just not happy with how it all mm. panned out. Well, how, how old are you at this point? So when I played for Samoa, I was only 20, 22. Because I'm, I'm thinking, look, diaspora to diaspora. Yeah. That is a bit like, it, it's, it's a thing. Yeah. It might not be a big thing in the scheme of things. Yeah. But it's, uh, you know, when the nation, you know. So while he has played some international games for Samoa, in 2003, Cass basically goes from club rugby and NPC to the World Cup without going for a Super 12 career, as a player of his calibre arguably should have. And he plays 80 minutes at prop against the eventual champions, England. In 2003, I remember, you know, because this is before social media, before we've got all of these Zooms and WhatsApp and all of that. I remember halftime, Samoa versus England, 2003 World Cup, and I'm on the landline trying to call my dad and the fan in the island. I don't even know if the game's being broadcast in the islands. I'm like, are you watching? Are you watching? Away with 
the pass of Arnu. This is Satiti, the number eight, to score the try. What an opening by Samoa. Absolutely out of the top draw. Brilliant. Samoa are 10-0 up inside the first 10 minutes. Going into that England game, we went into that with a lot of confidence, mm. I think. Uh, I think the coaching group we had at the time were pretty um, innovative in terms of how they saw they could get the best out of us. Mm. And also playing a style of rugby that um, we are renowned of playing mm. as island rugby is throwing the ball around. Starting the Samoan 22, it went across the park, I don't know, four or five times, forwards and backs handling with great skill. England defence truly stretched. In their England game, if you looked across at anybody on that field, as they were up for it. Mm. Uh, everybody was up for it. And you could just tell that no matter what, um, people were willing to go to the to war for each other. But this is a once-in-a-generation England side. Lawrence Delalio, Martin Johnson and Johnny Wilkinson ranked number one in the world. And early in the second half, they start to claw their way back in. Out of the blue, out of nothing really. Paulshaw made the break, it's a two-to-one here. Still, going into the final quarter, Samoa remain in the fight. Almost 51,000 here. Did any of them dream they'd be seeing this? Samoa with a kick to take the lead. 18 and a half minutes from time. Difference between, I guess, a Pacific Island team or a Māori team, whatever, the, the link with culture mm. is a big thing to it, I think, for us. Being able to bring each other together culturally has a big influence on how players perform, I think. I think it's digging a little bit deeper than just being a rugby player, going out there and training. Everybody can train, but there's a special bond that you have. This is over. Uh, this 14.8. How cool can you get? How cool can you get? Samar 22, England 20. Being born and bred in New Zealand, you're brought up around... New Zealand culture. Mm. Obviously, my parents Samoan, so we had a lot of Samoan influence growing up. But I guess making the Samoan team, the first time I was able to go back to Samoa was actually making that team. Mm. So it opened my eyes to, I guess, a different sense of me belonging for me. Well, this is turning into something of a nightmare for England. Being a Samoan, a New Zealand-born Samoan was... You think you know until you actually experience what that really mm. means and you understand what your parents have gone through to get you to where you need to get to. So, Well, just contemplate the build-up, the preparations, the months of work, every possible assistance England have had. I guess for me it was just uh, understanding my culture a lot more and having that belonging or having that um, feeling that you found your feet somewhere, mm. you know, you found your belonging somewhere. Now, in the end, England pull away in the last 10 minutes to win 35-22. But once again, Samoa have proven themselves on rugby's biggest stage. Oh, it's been undoubtedly one of the great contests for one of the unseeded nations ever in the history of the game since 87. You know... Their victory over Wales was pretty dramatic. 
in 99, but Wales were not the fancied team that England here are today. I guess the hardest thing for me or anybody involved was we didn't seem to kick on after that. You've got such talent on the field, but bringing that together as a, as a team was hard work. In many ways, that hasn't really changed. We have players arriving during the week of the first game and some arriving even later due to club commitments and international windows. So the same issues are still facing Samoa's new coach when we meet him in Fiji during the Pacific Nations Cup. Uh, my name is Vawasa uh, Manaya Seilal Mopso. Um, I come from the villages of Motsa'a and Ngataivai and Savai. Salala Mapasua, or Lala, has been in the job since 2020. So getting this team together in the same room is, is a logistical nightmare. And then when we do come together, we have very, very limited resources. But the biggest one would be time. Lala came from Otago, where he'd been a coaching development officer after a career that saw him play over 50 games for the Highlanders, more than 150 in top-flight clubs in England and Japan, and 26 times for Samoa. What's the difference between the setup uh, you're coaching now and when you were a player? Um, oh, <laughs> where do I start? I think uh, the biggest difference is probably the players. The calibre of players. I think this year especially we've been able to call on players who are coming from uh, full-time professional setups. Getting them from that high-performance pressure environments coming into the national team has been gold. We're only five metres behind the start line now as opposed to being 10 or 15 metres behind coming into these internationals. Lala says that cultural connection that Cass talked about from back in the day is still the bedrock of the team. First thing is to, to get them connected in, and it's pretty simple because the Fasamoa culture is the team culture. So, on the way to training, it's one of the boys getting up, singing Samoan songs, doing their butty and their ball, smiling, having a laugh, and just enjoying being unapologetically Samoan. Mm. And I think that's something we, we, we try and do early on, and then looking after the rugby side of things is, is a lot easier once they understand their purpose and how they're connected. We always make sure the boys find out they have relatives in the team upon arrival. They find out their grandparents or neighbours or they're from the same village. So that's really a strong mechanism of getting the boys connected. Yeah, like I said, well, after that, once they are connected in, they feel comfortable being themselves, then, yeah, we go from there. It's funny. As soon as you hear those late 1980s hip-hop beats, it's like, that's, that's when you're with the Samoan players. <laughs> the only people still rocking Bobby Brown in 2022. Uh, this is the only team that does a, a gym session to slow jams. <laughs> <laughs> What's the goal moving forward? The goal or the big dream is, you know, for, for me, is just this team fulfilling their potential. It's been talked about for so many so many years and we have some awesome Samoans playing in and around the world, playing for different countries. For me, I want to make this team a, a team that every Samoan kid aspires to be in. I want it to be their first choice team. I just want, you know, I really want Mon Samoa to fulfill its potential and potential is quite scary.
When you see Samoans playing in other teams, I don't just mean like Australia or all that, but like, you know, England, yeah. Ireland now. <laughs> as the Samoan coach, you're like, hey man, we're here, or is it more like, hey, there's us? Oh, that's definitely the latter. And I've had some conversations with a few boys just in the last few years around choosing Samoa, and some of them have, uh, they want to put their name in with the All Blacks, with the Wallabies, with Japan. And to me, that's awesome. And that's something that needs to be celebrated. And I kind of remind them that I support them 100%. And that regardless of what jersey you put on, you're Samoan. So if you're playing for Ireland, it's not. Oh, the Irish guys. Oh, that's the Simon guy that plays for Ireland. Bondi, congratulations on your debut for Ireland. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was good. Uh, all the glory goes to God. So regardless of what jersey they put on, they're always representing Samoa. And that should be celebrated. And hence why I go back to trying to create with this team now is I want those boys to be looking and think, oh, that looks like a pretty cool place to be. That's where I want to be. There's an uncomfortable irony in that wish, and in all those overseas players with strong ties to the culture. Because without homegrown professional competitions, realistically, anyone who lives in Samoa, who wants to play for Samoa, has to leave Samoa. None of the current squad play their rugby on Ireland. Our local crew, Rudy Bartley at WT Media in Samoa, went to a Samoan schools tournament in August, and it's pretty clear the kids know the score. Right now, you know the Super Rugby, Many Samoan players, they get scholarship from this kind of uh, tournament, school games. I believe the Pacific teams, we don't get the resources the big nations get, so we can prepare ourselves. And they get scholarship from other clubs from overseas, New Zealand, Australia, and they build up their skills because of the way they are taught to play rugby. And then they play, you know, play and get a, a bright future and can also feed their family, you know. While the students recognise the upsides of a pathway to professionalism, there are issues with the way it plays out now. Yeah, Dan Leo, a former Samoan captain, is the head of Pacific Rugby Players Welfare, an advocacy organisation set up by former players that sits outside the traditional associations. He says while there are often strings attached to any scholarship, the inherent disadvantages of Tonga and Samoa are too often exploited. For me, it's just wrong in terms of being conducive to the growth of the game worldwide. If we're ever going to survive in the professional era, particularly as Samoa and Tonga, we need some assistance there because if a player's got the opportunity to play for New Zealand schools, but it means that they're going to have to do a certain amount of time in the New Zealand system before they can ever come back, players are always going to go for that because it gives you a lot higher chance to play for a super rugby team than playing for the Samoa schoolboys. You're in the shop windows because I understand that these players are seen as project players, as investments. It's just about where is that line drawn between it being an investment and an opportunity and, as you said, being exploitation. Dan says some form of transfer payment could go back to the union where the players have been developed, driving reinvestment on Ireland. We don't want to be nations that are constantly more and more reliant over the last two decades on players that are New Zealand-born. We've heard from a number of people that rugby in Samoa is under pressure, with a slow drift away from the game. For me, it's detrimental to everything that we, you know, we want the game to be thriving in the islands, and the reality is, is that it's not. 
Nonatong and Samoa. So we've got a lot of work on our hands. And for me, it starts with the team, you know, Moana Pacifica being in touching distance for those kids, you know, to actually be able to inspire high school, you know, primary school students in the islands. Because if they're not, it's effectively another New Zealand team with players with Pacific Island surnames. We'll hear from Dan again in the final episode. He's a fierce advocate for Pacific rugby and made a remarkable documentary called Oceans Apart about his own journey trying to get to the heart of the issues. But look, there is some good news here. For the 2023 season, Moana Pacifica have a new signing. A 23-year-old loose forward who has played for Samoa in both sevens and at under-20 level, but effectively signed from Samoan club rugby, having grown up on island. Yeah, he got signed up through the Pacific Combine, a world rugby run initiative that pulls together the best young players in the Pacific to give them a taste of the professional game and help place guys with professional teams. The Combine is run out of Fiji, and look, credit to World Rugby, it's a good idea and getting results. There are other young players who are now part of the wider training squad. Moana Pacifica staff went and watched and were impressed by what they saw. So this is part of the solution. Yeah, and remember, Moana Pacifica will also be playing against Queensland Reds in Apia in the 2023 season, but their home ground will remain Mount Smart in Auckland. And you'll remember from episode one, there are good reasons for that. But it's a reminder that professional rugby, as a rule, is a game played somewhere other than Samoa. Yeah, in 2015, Samoa finally hosted the All Blacks at Apia Park. Many great players of Samoan heritage have played for the All Blacks over the years. And today, for the very first time, the world's most famous rugby side comes to Apia in a celebration for two nations where rugby is an obsession. Brian Williams, Michael Jones, Tana Umanga, Mills Mulyaina, the late Jerry Collins, Joe Stanley... The All Blacks ran out winners by 25-16 to 16 in the Samoan National Stadium. And it was worthy, very worthy of the occasion... May we have many more. But that was in 2015. And it's not just that the All Blacks haven't been back. Pretty much no one has. Since then, there have been just four home games in Samoa. Georgia, Tonga, Fiji and Wales have been the only visitors, even allowing for two years of COVID. That's fewer than one a year. You know, when we spoke with Bill Beaumont about this, he made the point that from a player safety point of view, the relative lack of medical infrastructure to treat what he described as catastrophic injury... Catastrophic like a broken neck or head trauma. Yeah, that's an issue for some touring teams, according to World Rugby. Now, he mentioned that Wales had organised a direct link with New Zealand, just in case, but it is a three-hour flight. Uh Uh-huh. So, once again, we are told the Pacific's lack of resources are holding us back. It's worth remembering that at the time of the All Blacks game, the Samoan Union said they were going to take a financial loss as hosts. In the end, they posted a modest profit a few months later thanks to some late-arriving sponsorship money. But again, the way the system works now disadvantages the smaller teams, particularly the Pacific Islands. Well, John, I'm shocked to hear that. Yeah, so traditionally, the team that hosts pays for the travel of the visitors but keeps the gate and the broadcasting fees, the sponsorship packages... Or the revenue generated by the game. Yeah, the theory goes that this works because it cuts both ways. But in practice, it doesn't work because virtually no teams go to the Pacific Islands, and even if they do, 
you're not getting the same gate at Apia Park as you are at, say, Twickenham or Eden. You're barely breaking even once you've paid for the opposition to travel to Samoa. And, look, the finances of Samoa and rugby have been precarious over the years, to say the least. And again, as with Tonga, frankly, a bit murky at times. In 2014, Dan Leo threatened strike action if issues around financial transparency at the heart of the union weren't addressed. And he was sacked from the captaincy for his troubles. The Samoan Union announced they were bankrupt in 2017. But that was contradicted by World Rugby, who pointed out that they were underwriting the tour that Samoa was on at the time. Hold on. Can we just focus on the apparent impossibility of Pacific nations making any money on their own? Is there anything that can be done about this? Well, Sir Tuifa Asasina Brian Williams, the former Samoa coach and current patron of Moana Pacifica, has an idea. One thing I'd love to see is gate sharing. You know, when our players go and entertain you know, 60 or 80,000 people at Millennium Stadium or Twickenham or, or Lansdowne Road, that you receive a, a gate share. And I've got to say that has happened uh, in the past. I remember way back in the 1990s, I managed to negotiate uh, with one of my good friends in the UK and we played Ireland at Lansdowne Road in um, 1996, I think it was, and negotiated a gate share, uh, which, which virtually uh, paid for our tour. Couldn't get to him, and Bishop can now go clear. Stephen Bishop is going to get his second score, and Samoa have taken a dramatic lead as we come up to half-time. So it just requires a bit of lateral thinking and being fair. You know, you're entertaining all those people. Uh, All right, so you guys own the stadium. We'll we'll pay, uh, go halves on on the rent, and then we share the rest of it, that sort of thing. So I think gate shares, hopefully, uh, would be a a real wonderful change. Yes! Now, John, that sounds fair, doesn't it? Yeah, and in fairness, for example, when Samoa played England at Twickenham in 2017, after that announcement about the bankruptcy, the English handed over £75,000. OK, OK. Well, that's cool. But just in terms of context, like, how much would the English make from that game? Well, it's hard to say because they've got overheads and all that, and it's hard to roll all the different aspects of the equation into a neat little number. Revenue, just from the gate, would have been somewhere in the region of 100 times that. Each English player was taking away £22,000 as a match fee. Right. So what I'm hearing is that the whole of the Samoan team is worth around three and a half England players? Is that how we're calculating this now? Look, before the game, the players, led, I think, by England's Tongan player, Wellington-born Marco Vunipola, we're talking about donating £1,000 each to their opposite numbers. Yeah, somehow I, I get the feeling this didn't happen. Well, in the end, a spokesperson for the England team said that this was obviously, quote, a complex situation between the Samoan Union and World Rugby, unquote. Basically, they didn't want to get in the middle of it. It's tough, but it's also um, all we've ever known. Whilst it's hard, it's um, you know, guys paying their own fares to come to camp. You know, we were operating on um, the players getting an allowance whilst they're in camp, and I wish I could give them more and provide more. 
Selala Mapasua says his aim is to break the cycle of brave efforts at World Cups, followed by four years in the wilderness. And he does see reason for hope. Bringing Moana Pacifica in this year has been massive. Having that connection to a professional team, that, that's our team. So now we have a real clear pathway for players so they don't have to wait till they don't make the All Blacks or they don't make the Wallabies to then choose uh, Monsamo. Now they can choose Monsamo now at 19, 20, knowing that they've got a professional contract where they can look after their families, they don't have to move overseas and they can still play international rugby. I see Wana Pacifica as our team. You know, mm, yeah, yeah. like I relate to that as a PI boy uh, here in New Zealand. I see that as our team. I get excited every time I watch them play, you know. Cass Lialamanua is not just any observer. For a start, Moana Pacifica is exactly the kind of team he would have been able to play for here in Super Rugby age 22 when he declared for Samoa. But then three years ago, Cass became the only accredited agent of Pacifica heritage in New Zealand, and now he plays a key role in guiding Pacifica talent. If somebody asked me when I was playing if I wanted to be an agent, <laughs> I would have said no, only because of the experiences that I had as a player. But I think looking back at it, and thankfully my boss actually persevered in, in asking was, how else can we change that perception unless there's somebody in there, I guess, educating our people around how this space works. Is there a uniqueness to the job with you being a Pacific Islander? Oh, I think there's a uniqueness to every (laughs) job, but there is in terms of understanding the Pacific Island culture a little bit better Mm. and how we're brought up, because we definitely work differently to Balangis. But like I said before, it's more around... We only know what we know, so for me it's more, I see myself as more information gatherer for people to be able to understand the space, to be able to make decisions, Mm. if that makes sense. And after the 2003 World Cup, Cass's own career took off after he went north for a number of years, to France and the UK. I was like, why haven't I done this earlier? You know, Mm. why haven't I just packed up my bags and looked at opportunities because I loved it, you know. Uh, the French people were passionate. There's a little um, area in France um, uh, where we lived in the south of France called the Basque people. And they are very similar to Pacific Island, like passionate, mm-hmm. <laughs> crazy, <laughs> but um, but very similar. So, I, I, yeah, I really encourage you, if you get an opportunity, it's, there's a big wheel to see. If there's a chance to do it, do it. That said, now that it's possible to play Super Rugby for Moana Pacifica, for most players, the difference between club salaries here and in the Northern Hemisphere is pretty small, certainly not what it used to be. Although there's only, what, 37 to 38 spots at Moana Pacifica, so going north is still a good option for many players. Yeah, and Cass did make the point that while the wages of Pacifica players in Super Rugby will be much the same as their Kiwi and Aussie counterparts, they won't get the top-up fees from their international sides that are the real sweetener. So how does that work? Well, in broad terms, it doubles your money, at least if you're an All Black. Triples or quadruples it if you're at the top level. For example, a high-performing Moana Pacifica player might be on, say, 150 to 180,000 a year 
for Super Rugby, much the same as an All Black. But a mid-range All Black will also get at least that much again for international duty. And someone like Adi Savia is probably on the best part of $1 million a season. Uh, whereas a Samoan international be on minimum wage, well, not even, say something like $500 a week for the few weeks they're together as a squad. So what's that, $5,000 a year? Is that right? Yeah, max. That's what we've been told by a number of sources. And the European and Japanese clubs go hard at the very top end for what are often referred to as marquee players, the stars. Charles Piutau reportedly a million pounds a year, so best part of two million New Zealand dollars. Stephen Luatua, reportedly 1.3 million New Zealand dollars. Those kinds of numbers. They're both ex-All Blacks of Pacifica origin playing at Bristol in the UK, so the very best Pacific players could easily be leaving quite a staggering amount of money on the table by staying with Moana Pacifica. And that isn't right either. Sometimes they have to choose between representing their country or not being paid. And for us, as we know as, as PI people, it's a paycheck for us isn't just for us. Mm. You know, we're feeding not only our family, but uh, we could be supporting multiple people in that village, you know. And while rugby is a team sport, those top players can make a huge difference. And that's why they can command those eye-watering salaries. What I question is around that, it's um, are we getting players at their their peak, mm. you know? I would love to see these players being available for the PI Nations, mm. the peak of their career, mm. because I think we could be, any of these PI teams would be amazing with players being able to represent their country of heritage at the top of their game. Until recently, guys tended to declare themselves available for Samoa late in their careers to avoid being cut out of super contention. Lala Mapasua was 26, and he says the average was more like 28. But he says that's now starting to change. I think the youngest guy in our team is 23. He's a catalyst for us actually bringing in players where they can grow and you know, a core group of players to build a team around. Eri Atsurei is the third youngest player in the Manu having just made his debut in the Pacific Nations Cup at 25. He's another with New Zealand roots, including Māori Whakapapa, and he was vice-captain of New Zealand's world champion under-20 team in 2017, and spent a number of years with Canterbury and the Crusaders before making the switch this year to his new super rugby home. The biggest thing for me was playing for Moana Pacifica this year and just really connecting um, with my culture, my roots, being around Tongan, Samoan boys, kind of just different perspective on wanting to play for my people. That kind of really pushed me towards wanting to play for the Manu. Having been through the New Zealand system, just in terms of resources, do you see a difference? Yeah, there's a huge difference in resources and you know, we don't know the ins and outs of how that works, but I think what we can kind of see is that little things like the incorporation of Moana, Pacifica and Fijian Drua in the Super Rugby, I think just shows the quality that the Pacific Islands bring to rugby worldwide and I think bringing that into international rugby moving forward as we start to get more competitive I believe that somehow that'll contribute towards world rugby pushing more resources towards the Pacific nations and like I guess I hope that's the case I'm not sure how it really works and you could only imagine what these teams would be like if we had the same resources as the tier one nations so 
yeah, that's the goal, I guess. Is that something you guys talk about with, with a certain amount of frustration? Um, with our team, no. We love how we operate with what little we have. You know, we've done it, a lot of us, all of our lives. Um, growing up in the islands, you know, that's how you live. You work with what you've got. And when you produce, it's all the more sweeter as well. Which isn't to say he's happy about the very obvious disparities. We believe that we could be given more high-quality um, opposition to play against leading into World Cup and things like that. We hear things like the All Blacks have around 18 tests before World Cup, you know, starting from this year on, and we've probably got about six. So just that kind of difference there it makes a huge difference when it comes to preparation for such a big tournament. You know, hopefully in the future somehow we start to even that up because as you see with World Cups like the Rugby League, just the competitiveness across the competition from all the Pacific nations and all the you know, northern hemisphere across, it's huge. Why wouldn't you want that? Milford again is in position, but they're also going to go back to Crichton. Crichton's got time to try and win it for Samoa, and Stephen Crichton is a history maker! Samoa into the final of the Rugby League World Cup. What a moment for Rugby League! What a moment for that nation! Look, call me biased. But even if they didn't win it, the fact that Sam Moore made it to the final of the Rugby League World Cup, upending all the expectations, that has to be good for a sport. Yeah, and Manu Samoa's coach, Lala Mapasua, he thinks the same way. To be a truly global competitive game, I think everyone needs to be on the same start line. And I, I don't know what that looks like, but I do know that it'll be a lot better product for it. At the end of the day, it's a game we love, but it's also a business, and I think if we can get this team and the other Pacific Island teams up into the same start line, I think yeah, it can become uh, quite a scary place to be uh, for everyone, and we've got to be brave. That issue around the lack of games for Samoa and the other Pacific sides is really significant. While the Pacific Nations Cup is better than nothing. We're sick of beating each other up. <laughs> Tonga and Fiji and, and again if we're only playing each other it's pretty hard to, to prepare ourselves to play against the Wallabies or England or the All Blacks. So I'd like to see a little bit more done there and more games will, will go a long way. But because their players are contracted to overseas clubs there's currently very little room to move for the Pacific teams without a unified global calendar. Why is that? Well, as it stands, there are two international windows where players have to be available for their national sides, basically three weeks in July and three weeks in November. Again, the big countries like New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, they don't have that problem because their players are centrally contracted through the National Union, who are then free to organise games whenever they want. And that's why, in 2022, for example, the All Blacks have 13 tests, Samoa have five and a game against Australia A. The A is for awesome. We look at how the All Blacks play, and we talk about it being in their DNA. Uh, the way they play now has it's been evolving since day one, you know, and it's because they get that consistency and, and time together. If we could get that time and be able to give our players 
what they need to provide for their families, that's a game changer for us. Is it a fair game? So Samoa, on their end of year tour in 2022, played Italy, Georgia, and Romania. The Manu are currently ranked 11th in the world, but they get only one tier one test for the season. Remember, the tier ones are who world rugby decide are the big boys. Although this one was against Italy, who aren't in the top 10 either. Yeah, but Italy, who in fairness are going through something of a renaissance under Kiwi coach Kieran Crowley, beat them comfortably, 49-17. Now, the Italians had more time to prepare and they were playing at home, while Samoa had to get together fast. It was the first game of their tour, so always tough to find those combinations quickly in gel, but 49 points. That was quite a blow. Definitely. Although, what I did like was hearing from Monte Ioane after the game, when he scored two tries against a team he would have been eligible for via his Samoan father. His mother's from Fiji, by the way, Vinaka. Anyway, Monte Ioane told the website Rugby Pass that someone from the Samoan staff had come in after the game to congratulate him and quote, he was so proud of me that I was representing Samoan people on the world stage. He said it was great that I was playing for Italy. And that meant a lot to me. End quote. Yeah, they do walk the talk. But for me, the interesting result was beating Georgia in Georgia, 2019. Because there's been a lot of talk about the Georgian team who beat Wales during that autumn window and had previously beaten Italy. Were there any Georgians playing for the other Six Nations teams? Because I saw that every single one of the Six Nations had at least one player of Pacific heritage playing for them. No, although there were no Pacifica playing for Georgia. I'll do the gags, John. Do the Georgians get many Tier 1 games? England, Ireland, Wales, France and South Africa since the last World Cup. Huh. And how did the other Samoan game go against Romania? Pretty comfortable Samoan victory. 22-0 in Bucharest, the Romanian capital. What about the other Pacific teams? Tonga played Spain, won 40 points to 6. They beat Chile, 39-10. And they beat Uruguay, 43-19. With all due respect, that is not exactly three powerhouse rugby nations. What about Fiji? Well, let's not forget that Uruguay did beat Fiji at the last World Cup. But look, Fiji had some good games. They lost to Scotland, 12-28, Ireland, 17-35, and they beat the French Barbarians, 46-14. Now, it is worth noting that there seems to be an interesting correlation between votes and Tier 1 matches in that November window. Tonga, who have no votes, also had no Tier 1 games. Samoa, one vote, one Tier 1 game. Fiji, nominally one vote, but actually two Fijians are on the World Rugby Council and we'll hear from one of them in the next episode. Right, and two Fijian votes, they got two Tier 1 games. Yeah. Is that just a coincidence? We're going to dig into the voting situation in the next episode. But also worth mentioning is that Japan, only two votes, but they played France and England, having played the All Blacks at home, not for the first time. Brave Blossoms fill a big home stadium and they tend to share that nicely. Again, we'll look at the horse trading that goes on in the next episode. New Zealand, at the risk of stating the obvious, three votes and three Tier 1 games in that November window. But like South Africa and Australia, they played another game in the north outside the window, that Japanese one, pretty much explicitly to make money. 
Understandably. I mean, I'm sure they need the money. Yeah, look, the thing is, everyone feels like they need the money. And you'll remember how this story actually got worse after we heard about that game against Italy. And that's the only Tier 1 test that we've been allocated between World Cups. So since 2019 and heading to next year, yeah, it's... When I say it out loud, it, <laughs> it actually shucks that's it. My granddad came over on a boat. My dad came over on a boat. I grew up proud, so I'm on heritage. That makes me angry. It makes me emotional. I get real angry about that. Yeah. Like, the disrespect. How do you make sure the team doesn't get like me? I hear that, and I'm like, I want to swear, man. I'm like, how, how dare you treat Pacific, who's given so much to the game? One test before the World Cup. That's amazing. To, how do you not get, like, oh, infuriated? It's, I have been <laughs> infuriated and I still am. i got to make sure that I'm leading these boys, these young men. The only way we can really say anything impactful is by what we do on the field. That's what drives me. Uh, that's what I'm trying to drive into the manu is that there's only one thing that people will listen to or the people that make decisions will listen to is by results and we've tried everything and you know again like you I'm hearing it out loud again I'm like how how am I supposed to work with this and we have gotten angry Mm -hmm. Um, James we and then uh, I quickly have to to get over that and, and channel that into the right channels because that's what's going to get us to the goal. That's mm. what's going to get us to the dream. And I truly believe that. Let's work hard now and like your grandfather did, like your father did. The pioneers, they went in search of a better future for their families. And, and that's what we're doing here. We're going and doing things in search of a better future for Monsamoa because this is our people's team and they deserve the best. Written and produced by James Norkise, Tale Anderson and John Daniel for Bird of Paradise Productions, Radio New Zealand and Pacific Media Network. Language Programme Director, Matt Tufunga. Executive Producers for RNZ, Justin Gregory, Katie Gossett and Tim Watkin. Sound Engineers, Rangi Poek, Alex Harmer and Jeremy Ansel for RNZ, Harrison Edwards at PMN. Music and Sound Design, Anonymous, Faumu Mafu Salapo. Visuals, Manatoa Productions, Anonymous, and Krista Barnaby for RNZ. Additional reporting by Lethe Mavono. Additional sound recorded by Rudy Bartley at WT Media in Samoa. Special thanks to Don Mann, Louis Villasoni, Langi Poiva, Cheryl Jackson, Jody Hoane, Josie Campbell, Elijah Fafio, and Ingangaro Fakafi. Thanks to Sky Sport, TVNZ, TV3, and Discovery for game audio from TV broadcasts. RNZ Commissioning, Jody Hwane, Tim Burnell. RNZ Acting Head of Content, Veronica Schmidt. RNZ Interim Chief Content Officer, Megan Whelan. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. 
For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.